This is the best holiday ever. Two weeks of sun, sea, sex, booze, sex, fanny, and booze, and sex. This don't look like the pictures. Brit sitcom The Inbetweeners, which tracked the travails of four male misfits and their last years at high school, makes a satisfying leap to the big screen. Charles Grant, Variety. What primarily redeems the Inbetweeners movie is that it's so surprisingly tender and sweet. Noel Murray, AV Club. It has two different gag ratios, the laughter one and the urge to spew one. Both are high. Tim Robey, The Daily Telegraph. This week we watch the Inbetweeners movie. Hello and welcome to BritCon Goes to the Movies, the podcast where we examine the journeys of small screen British comedy programmes, sketches and talent to the big screen one movie at a time. Now, I don't know if you heard about Guy Walker from the paper shop. He was mucking about at the wreck and got his head wedged in a bottle bank, got stuck there all night. By the time someone found him in the morning, he'd been arse raped 18 times. And look who it is. It's the lion, the witch and the specky kid who shit himself. It's Rob Heath. <laughs> you followed that one well, Guy. Shall we start with some stats about the Inbetweeners movie? Yeah, give us some stats, Rob. It was released on the 17th of August 2011, so it's our most recent film yet. Known in Germany as Sex on the Beach, and in Denmark as Skoraturen. I I didn't bother to look up what that means. (laughs) It was produced by Boak Productions, Film 4 and Young Films, and distributed in the UK by Entertainment Film Distributors. Total UK gross of £45 million, a total global gross of $88.8 million, taking £13.2 million in its first week in the UK. That makes it easily our biggest box office success yet, even adjusting for inflation. So let's compare that to, so if you adjust adjust the parole officer for inflation, so it took £3.2 million in 2001, which Mm. is now £5.6 million. So, wow. for, so adjusting in between is for inflation, 45 million in 2011 is now 79 million pounds. So, I mean, it, it set all sorts of box office records, including uh, most successful opening weekend ever achieved by a comedy film in the UK, any comedy film, mm. not just British ones. Uh, it was the biggest opening weekend for an independent British film at the time. It knocked The Rise of the Planet of the Apes off the number one spot in the UK box office and was the number one film for four weeks before eventually being usurped by Tinker Tailor Soldier Spy. It was uh, in the UK box office top 10 until late October that year, so it was there for a good uh, good couple of months. Um, so you look at its takings against its budget, and the budget was £3.5 million. So an absolutely huge box office success our most successful film yet that we've profiled as directed by ben palmer who'd directed mostly tv and live comedy and a lot of episodes of the inbetweeners uh written by ian morris and damon beasley who created the show but neither had written a film before uh it has a rotten tomatoes of 54 percent with an audience score of 70 percent and imdb of 6.7 wow that is Another of our higher rated. Yeah, well, we're breaking new ground here in, in, in lots of ways. You know, most recent, most successful. Um, we'll see how that translates to our ranking when we get to the end. Yeah. Uh, but you have been looking into the Comedy Connections and credentials of the cast and crew. 
Um, yeah, so our comedy connections, there's because there's quite a few people in it, I thought I'd just stick to our main four core cast members. Simon Bird, who plays Will, his first big role was in The Inbetweeners, went on to do Friday Night Dinner, the other kind of, I guess, iconic sitcom of this period. Then Chickens with Joe Thomas, a World War I set sitcom in a small village where three men are not called up to fight and get become ostracized from the community. Did you ever watch that? I remember the pilot was like, a, it was a comedy lab. And I remember watching that and thinking, yeah, this is all right. And then the, the actual series was on Sky, I think, mm. wasn't it? Yeah, it uh, was. And I don't, I don't think I saw it. it yeah, it, it had the other kind of member of their threesome, didn't it? What's his name? Johnny something. Who yeah. Was the, the, it was the three of them that had their kind of sketch group and did the Edinburgh show together. Directed Ellie White and Natasia Dimitriou's sketch show, Ellie and Natasia, which I thought was really good. I've only seen I've seen a handful of sketches. In fact, somebody sent me one uh, the other day, and it was uh, their their Saturday Kitchen sketch. Have you seen that one? I, yeah, I with Harry that. Hill. Yeah, and I sent that to my friend who used to produce Saturday Kitchen, and he found it hilarious. Yeah, it's really good. I'm looking forward to like another series. Hopefully, they'll get one because that was very good. Simon Bird directed Days of Bangold Summer, his directorial film debut, which. I think we'll probably have to do at some point. His most recent work was Everyone Else Burns, a sitcom about a cult, which I really enjoyed. Certainly one of my favourite recent sitcoms. I really enjoyed it as well. Uh, what I love about it is that uh, everyone's doing a Northern accent apart from him. Like he just knows his own limitations. You know, he's a man of many talents, but he knows his limitations in the accent stakes and just doesn't bother. Yeah, yeah, it's perfect. Yeah, really good, really enjoyed that. Next up, Joe Thomas, who plays Simon, who, like you said, was part of the sketch troupe with uh, Simon Bird when they were at university together and then went and did Edinburgh Fringe. He was also in Chickens with Simon Bird, Fresh Meat, which I think is probably like his, the biggest thing he's done kind of post in between yeah. us. Yeah, I love Fresh Meat. I Me mean, too. He, he's basically playing the same character, isn't he? But yeah. it doesn't matter. Fresh Meat. No. Good. No, not at all. And I think that's really good up until probably the fourth series where it kind of drops off a bit of a cliff from what I remember. I remember the first three being really strong and then mm. it just dives. White Gold with James Buckley and another chap whose name um, I can't remember. Written by um, Damon Beasley, who's one of the in between his creators. Yeah, yeah, I was just talking about that earlier. I, I, I watched all of that in kind of quick succession and didn't enjoy it. I, th I seem to remember it was one of the things I watched when one, I must have been my second son, was had just been born. It was one of the things I'd watch at stupid o'clock in the morning when I was downstairs feeding him. I watched a couple of episodes maybe and didn't really like it. Um, yeah, so I, yeah, I never, I never bothered. He was in the film The Festival, which again feels very in between. I think it was by the same writers. Um, it's Ian Morris, yeah, and I think he directed it as well, didn't he? Yeah, I think he did, um, from 2018, which it almost feels like Simon goes to a festival, really. He was most recently in a show called Maternal, which is a drama about three doctors returning to the post-pandemic frontline medicine after maternity leave, starring Parminda Nagra, Lara Pulver, and Lisa McGrillis. And uh, Joe Thomas was one of the sporting actors in that. 
Blake Harrison, who played Neil, he was Private Pike in the remake of Dad's Army, another film we will get to. He was in the sitcom Kate and Koji with Brenda Blithen, a traditional sitcom set in a cafe about, I think it's about an asylum seeker or someone of that ilk who is at a little cafe and how the community embraced them. No of it, but yeah, not seen it. Yeah, it looked like a very traditional three-camera laughter track sitcom. Prime Suspect prequel Tennyson was in one series of that before it got cancelled, but I quite like that. The increasingly poor decisions of Todd Margaret starring David Cross. Do you remember that? Yeah, I do. I, I remember being quite frustrated with that as being something that could have been a lot better than it was. And just kind of, it was almost like, let's, you know, let's try and just bring together the, the comedy people of the moment from both sides of the Atlantic. And it was all a bit haphazard, I felt. Yeah, I think Sharon I'd agree. Hawkins in it, right? And two yeah. of... Arrested Development and and him and a few other people and yeah it was sort yeah of Will Arnett and yeah it's just it feels like a bit like slapdash. Let's yeah. just throw a load of shit together and see what sticks. It feels like one of those shows. He's recently seen in World on Fire for the BBC about ordinary people during World War Two. I think that's on its second series. Never never seen it, but no, it's... not seen it. I'm waiting James? for you to say something else. Oh, no, you're moving on to James Buckley. I was going to, why? What have I? Um, the What is the name of the Hugh Grant's Jeremy Thorpe? A very, very British scandal? Or very English oh, yeah, it was in, I never watched it. He's the in the investigative, um, uh, oh, fucking hell, what are they called? The private detective. Oh, okay. Was uh, it good? Yeah, it's, it's really good, and uh, everyone's very good in it. Um, my connection is... Blake Harrison here, uh, and it's it's thoroughly less impressive than <laughs> all the previous ones. I my son once played with his kids at a festival in South London called uh, Lewisham People's Day, and it was one of those awkward kind of things. Like when when your when your kids play with other kids at the at like the park or something, and you're kind of like. Do I talk to this person or not? Or kind of making, I made the smallest of small talk with him whilst trying to pretend I didn't know who he was. <laughs> he was very incognito, like quite long hair and big beard at the time. He feels like to me the one who's probably done the more varied. I think because his character was so a particular way, we'll get into that, that I think he probably had more scope to do more, whereas the others seem very kind of in the parameters of maybe those characters that they started out with. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. I mean, yeah, particularly as we were saying with Joe Thomas, I think, I think Simon Bird maybe has recognized that, which is why he's gone into directing and producing as well. But mm. yeah, certainly the other three seem to have been typecast. Yeah. So we'll get on to James Buckley who played Jay. So after the in-betweeners, he went on to play Del Boy in the Only Fools and Horses prequel, Rock and Chips, with, which I think we've mentioned before has not been very good. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I've seen like one episode and it was awful. Yeah, I watched a couple of those and he's just, he doesn't feel like Del Boy. He just feels like Jay in the 1960s. <laughs> he did a crappy British horror film called The Pyramid. Do you remember that? No. Have you seen yeah. it? Um, no, but I remember the trailer for it and... It was just one of those where, yeah, and it's it's not got had a good write up. He's in Pop Star Never Stop Never Stopping from the Lonely Island team. Is he? Yeah, I've seen I really, that, and I don't remember him in it. Yeah, I like that film, but yeah, he's he's in that. 
Ah, good on him. I think he's like a probably like one of the hangers on or something like right, that. Okay. The last uh, last thing of any note that he did was White Gold, which we've already talked about, which was kind of billed as an 80s version of the in-betweeners about double glazing salesmen. It kind of felt very much like that. Most recently, he's been vlogging on YouTube with his wife. I think they have a show called Meet the Buckleys. Oh, really? Yeah. I'll have to check that out as well. Maybe we can put a link to that. Yeah, put a link to that in. And he made a million pounds from Cameo the app where you get people to you record messages people request a message yeah so you can go all right rob happy birthday you bus wanker and people pay 50 quid for the privilege he is the sort of person that cameo was created for isn't he like the, the people who want to hear his catchphrase are the sort of people who want to buy cameo uh greetings aren't they i think yeah exactly send it to you know call your <laughs> mate a dickhead from jay yeah. from the in between us <laughs> Yeah. Um, the director was Ben Palmer, as you mentioned earlier. It started out on Bo Selector. He didn't direct the Keith Lemon movie as well, did he? I no, I don't believe he did. I've not seen but that. He, I think he did some of the TV show as well, because I thought, oh, yeah, that's something we're going to have to... <laughs> Shit. <laughs> ...the good of the podcast. <laughs> that shows dedication, does that? <laughs> I don't think I've ever watched an episode of Keith Lemon. No. Of any of it. No. Uh, He directed the second and third series of The Inbetweeners. He also directed Chickens, which we've mentioned earlier. Did a series called London Irish, which was on Channel 4. A show we mentioned previously, Sun Trap. He directed that, the Kevin Novak and Mm. Bradley Walsh, amongst others. He also directed the film Man Up, starring Simon Pegg and Lake Bell. I've seen, I think I've said, I get the feeling I've watched that on a plane, so I can't really remember it. I've seen it, but I don't remember much about it. I can't remember what the, the premise of, it's a rom-com, that's all I can remember about it. The first series of Mitchell and Webb's Back, which I oh, think Back, Simon yes. Blackwell yeah. Yeah. maybe was involved with as well. And Breeders from 2020 starring Martin Freeman and Daisy Haggard. Haggard? Haggard? Yeah, Haggard, I think. Yeah, um, yeah, Breeders. Both Back and Breeders I was quite disappointed in. And I'd I'd love Mm. Simon Blackwell as a writer. Um, But yeah, for whatever reason, I lost lost a bit of patience with Breeders, I think. I never watched Breeders. I watched Back and I gave up on it at first and then went back to it again and it was fine, but not... Not Peep Show, not yeah. Peak, Mitchell and Webb. That's the problem, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. As the cast of the Inbetweeners have found out. Yeah, ex- exactly. Exactly, that's it. Yeah, it's like, where do you go when you've had one of the most iconic sitcoms of the last 20 years? You know? Yeah. And the writers, Ian Morris and Damon Beasley, started off writing a couple of episodes of Flight of the Concords, which I didn't realise, which is really cool. I did. I, re- I remember their names coming up on the uh, credits of Flight of the Concords, having just watched, uh, or maybe it was the other way around, having seen their names come up on the in between us, having just watched Flight of the Concords. And like, oh, this this will be exciting then. Obviously, they did the in between us, then they went on to do White Gold. Last TV show they did was a football sitcom about an American managing an English team. And no, it's not Ted Lasso. This was called The First Team with Will Arnett. Did you ever watch the first team? No, it rings a vague bell. Damon Beasley went on to write White Gold with Joe Thomas and Chris Neal, um, as we've already mentioned. 
Ian Morris featured on Look Around You, which is a, a classic of the mid-Nazis. Yeah, I think that was like his only acting role, wasn't it? I, I love, I love Look Around You, both series. I, I love that they reinvented it as something completely different for the second series. Me too. I, I remember watching it, I think it was on just before we started university and then like desperately trying to find it on DVD once I got to Huddersfield and, and buying it. Because yeah. like each episode was only 10 minutes as well, wasn't it? So it was like a £15 DVD for a less than an hour's worth of... <laughs> yeah, <laughs> like 50 minutes worth of material yeah. or something. Yeah. But yeah, it's great. And then the fact that they followed it up with something that was more like Tomorrow's World or something. He co-hosted a radio show with Jimmy Carr on XFM in the mid-noughties, and he's co-written the film Next Goal Wins with Taika Waititi, which is coming out pretty soon, I think. So Rob, have you got some info on the In Between Us TV show? I have, yeah. So this is our second episode that's a direct spin-off of a show going into into a film. In between is something of a late noughties phenomenon began life when writers Ian Morris and Damon Beasley, who were producing the 11 o'clock show at Channel 4 at the time. Uh, so that's two more people to add to that list of, of 11 o'clock show alumni who went on to dominate the comedy landscape. Uh, and they were also uh, commissioners at Channel 4 during the time that Peep Show was commissioned as well. Uh, they would play a lot of PlayStation together at each other's flats and uh, exchanging stories about their youth, something which Morris would also do on his XFM show for, uh, for Jimmy Carr, which he produced. They decided to run with these anecdotes and try and create a sitcom. They produced a pilot for Channel 4 called Baggy Trousers in 2006, which ended up forming the basis of Series 1, Episode 2, Bunk Off of The Inbetweeners. Apparently, a lot of things that happened in that episode actually happened to Beasley, who did actually write on a girl's driveway and tell a little boy that his parents were going to die in a nuclear strike. <laughs> that's all from the second episode of The Inbetweeners. Sorry, I was just going to say, that's the one where they dress... Will up in the suit going by booze. Yes, exactly. Hence the title Baggy Trousers. Yeah. Yeah. We did that when I was 16. We got a lad who was a Christian lad and dressed him up in a suit and got him to buy his booze. Brilliant. Get the Christian lad to do it. Exactly. He'll, uh, <laughs> he's got more scope. As the Channel 4 bigwigs, their reception to this pilot was lukewarm at best, and they were very questioning about who would want to watch teenagers out on a Friday night. Imagine these idiot suits saying shit like that. Exactly. But then, and it gets stupider, but then E4 commissioned audience research surveys, and uh, the outcome of which suggested that teenagers and young adults wanted to see themselves reflected in TV shows. Who'd have thought it, eh, guy? exactly it's like what? babes in the wood all over again what a fucking waste of time <laughs> e- e4 a channel which literally exists for young adults had never considered making shows uh with young adult characters what was skins well so we're going to get to that uh, okay. it's because of attitudes like this in their commissioning that is largely thought that the in-between is the first british sitcom about teenagers or students since the young ones you know a mm. huge chasm between those two. Yeah. And in, in terms of time. Um, anyway, these groundbreaking audience research stats resulted in Skins getting commissioned. Oh, okay. E, E4 were desperate to have a comedy as well. So they wanted one big uh, teen comedy and one big teen drama. So they had Skins. Uh, so they delved back into some old scripts and found this pilot. Uh, and decided to make the in-betweeners. 
but they wanted to completely recast everyone from the pilot. Uh, James Buckley, who plays Jay, was originally in the pilot as Neil, uh, but Morris and Beasley, upon noticing how gregarious he was on set, persuaded the suits to have him recast as Jay. And and then they cast uh, Blake Harrison as Neil. In Morris's words, they spent forever trying to find the right actors for Will and Simon. They dismissed Simon Bird and Joe Thomas, who are Cambridge Footlights alumni, having seen and loved their Edinburgh show, but thinking that it wouldn't work. Matt Smith, Doctor Who Matt Smith, was also considered for the part of Will. <laughs> that would have been interesting. Yeah. Uh, by the time they came back around to recasting, the E4 execs couldn't believe that they hadn't suggested Simon Bird and Joe Thomas, so they wanted to get them in. So they went back and, and got them in, and that was quite an easy process in the end. Mm. Uh, the main premise of the show is obviously that uh, Will had left private education, was having to join a comp and make new friends. Uh, the character of Will was based on Ian Morris, as he was the privately educated and posher of the two. Uh, Beasley said in different interviews that he's mainly Simon, but also with elements of Jay. Uh, they cast Greg Davis as Mr. Gilbert, having seen his stand-up, which involved anecdotes of his 13 years spent as a teacher. Uh, and he was the only person they ever considered for that role, and rightly so. Yeah, he's brilliant. Uh, the series was shot in a brand new high school in northwest London, meaning that because there were only one or two year groups there, they had loads of wide open space to film and to, could do so during term time. Uh, a lot of the kids at the school ended up being extras or supporting artists. Uh, this is my favourite bit. Ian Morris remembers most episodes ended up only running at 18 or 19 minutes. So all the recap elements, uh, that was one of the show's hallmarks at the end of Simon Bird doing the voiceover, were tacked on and load reams and reams of VO written from Will's point of view. And they wanted to do it in a kind of Goodfellas style. And so that had to kind of tape everything together because they didn't want to rewrite a load of scenes and kind of haphazardly place them in oh wow no idea about that. that's brilliant well of course that, that wouldn't be needed on streaming now would it like you know if this is this was a show for netflix first and foremost then they wouldn't give a shit it's, it's as long as it is yeah well if you watch something like i think you should leave now with tim robinson like 15 minutes long these yeah. episodes like sketch shows are getting shorter exactly but they they had to you know obviously they had to fit e4's scheduling time so that you mm. know, it had to be a 22 minute show um, and with that knowledge, going back and watching some of the episodes, you can kind of see, like, sometimes the VO and the recap works better than others. Um, a lot of the situations and some of the show's most famous moments were things that happened to Morris and Beasley. Will losing his virginity, in inverted commas, to Charlotte Hinchcliffe, played by Emily Atak, was a moment from Morris's teens where he literally... Lay like a plank on top of a girl. These are Ian Morris's words. Lay like a plank on top of a girl, a girl and was told he didn't have to move his, own, his whole body. <laughs> uh, the, sli the sliding on his sock scene from the Caravan Club episode actually happened to Morris, but at a university ball, where he, <laughs> where he became so scared at the prospects of going to have sex with a very forward girl that he really liked that he decided to take off his shoes and slide up and down the dance floor. <laughs> And he said after two lengths, he turned around to see that she'd gone. <laughs> That's brilliant. Yeah. Uh, Simon getting a hand job on the dance floor at an under-18s disco actually happened to Damon Beasley. <laughs> and he said, he said, I was listening to his uh, Richard Herring Leicester Square theatre podcast, 
and he said that when the film, uh, when they were bringing the film out, because at, at this place where he'd, he'd been to this under-18 party, this uh, it's like a community hall in Gravesend where he grew up, mm. and they, they got in touch and said that they wanted to do a screening there because it was like his, one of his old haunts, and he was like, yeah, that sounds great, uh, and good publicity for the film. Uh, but the guy who was doing like the emceeing basically said so the very first question he had for him was like, so Damon, I uh, hear you've got very fond memories of this venue, <laughs> <laughs> which ended yes. up forming part of your show. I mean, <laughs> brilliant. Uh, so the show debuted on E4 in May 2008 to low figures of around 300,000 per episode, but did slightly better on uh, its running in November on Channel 4 that year. Uh, the first episode of Series 2 was actually the first to crack a million in terms of audience uh, and was the highest rated show on E4 of 2009. Crucially, what led to a third series and ultimately the film was its on-demand figures. In the early days of streaming, the Inbetweeners was making up around a third of 4OD, as it was called at the time, a third of 4OD's traffic. It also did really well in the DVD market. Joe Thomas had quipped in an interview that when he and Simon Bird got their royalty checks from Series 1 and 2 DVDs, they could pay an entire year's rent with them. That's how well it did on DVD. Wow. Just from, just from their residuals. The TV show was critically well-received at nearly every turn. Joe McNally, writing in The Independent at the time, um, commended exquisitely accurate dialogue, capturing the feel of adolescence perfectly. And Will Dean of The Guardian at the same time wrote of the program that it captures pathetic sixth form male experience quite splendidly. Mm. Uh, it obviously spawned two films, the second of which we'll get to at some point, a reunion special and an American series, which was broadcast on MTV, but was cancelled after one series due to bad reception. Uh, in between us was nominated for best sitcom at the BAFTAs twice, losing to the IT crowd in 2009 and the thick of it in 2010. Fair enough. Yeah. Uh, yeah. But in 2011, at the British Comedy Awards, it won an honorary award for Outstanding Contribution to Comedy. But in that year, its influence was far from over. Uh, I think that The Inbetweeners came out at the perfect time for people our age. So the, the cast of The Inbetweeners are the same age as us, all born in kind of 84, 85, 86. Yeah. And The Inbetweeners, the Inbetweeners coming out in 2008, so that's two years after we'd graduated. I think that's like almost like the perfect amount of time to be able to reflect upon how stupid teenagers are and how stupid we were as teenagers. So off the back of the success of The Inbetweeners came the film. And before writing Series 3, Ian Morris and Damon Beasley had written the movie as like an extended episode outline. Uh, but knew it would never get made in that guise as it was too expensive. But after the success of Series 3, with the film rights in hand, Morris and Beasley sought the funding, arrogantly knowing we'd get it, according to Beasley in an interview. But it was a bit like starting over again. They got Ben Palmer in to direct, as he'd done 11 episodes of the show at that point. And so was obviously very familiar with the characters, etc., Mm. Morris and Beasley, as before, based a lot of the writing for the lads' trip on things that had happened to them and their friends on lads' holidays. 
Jay having his granddad's money to spend was based on Morris getting a total of £360 for his 21st birthday. Sleeping on the anthill actually happened to one of Beasley's friends as well on a lad's holiday they'd had. The plan was always for the film to be set in Malia in Greece because it's the kind of popular lad's destination of the time. Uh, But after a recce and some location filming, it was decided that logistically getting that amount of British-based cast and crew to and from Greece would be more expensive and difficult. This meant a lot of additional production design, making signage that was in Greek, etc. And Morris quips on the making of DVD that they didn't shoot Star Wars in Tatooine. (laughs) (laughs) That's very good. Which I thought was quite funny. Yeah. Uh, Filming was constantly delayed and disrupted in Magaluf because of bad weather in Majorca in February. Uh, For the party boat scenes, they had forced five gales and everyone was given seasickness medication. Joe Thomas actually... Yeah, I know. Fucking hell, could you like Apocalypse Now? Hardcore, yeah. Yeah. Uh, Joe Thomas actually did the dive off the top of the boat and the Coast Guard helicopter lift for real. Both of those things were actually him. Uh, interiors were all shot in the UK. Uh, the club with Fernando doing his self fellatio was shot at the Ministry of Sound. The thing about the behind the scenes doc on the DVD that shot me the most is that Marco's club interiors, so the, the, the place where they do all their dancing, those interior scenes were shot in a club called Inferno's in Clapham, South London, which is a club I have been to quite a few times. One of your classic kind of sticky floors, lots of Australians, crap music. Everyone involved in the film felt the need to do the second film as a gift to the fans because many of whom were kind of demanding it to, in some cases to their faces, you know, like fans coming up to them in the street and saying, you have to do a second film. Mm. Uh, but the story of that, I guess, is for another day. So I guess the big question is, have you seen this before? I have. I saw it at the cinema with in quite an in-between as he kind of away, actually, with uh, a friend, a young French friend who was over visiting, <laughs> <laughs> whose name wasn't Patrice. But uh, <laughs> yeah, I took him to see it, and yeah, and he absolutely loved it. And I remember at the time being mm, liking it, but. I think we've said in the past that we, both of our kind of enthusiasm for the series was on the wane by the third series, and so because mm. this came after the third series, yeah, it felt at the time like a, a level very much at the same kind of level comedy wise, and so I, I remember laugh, laughing enough times to you know for for it to be a, a worthwhile experience, um, but. I was really looking forward to revisiting it because obviously for the research for this podcast, I've gone back and watched, uh, well, actually all of the first two series of The Inbetweeners for the first time in probably about five years Mm. uh, and really, really enjoyed it. So was really enjoying watching it for a second time. I think I'd seen bits of it when it's been on the TV, but yeah, really looking forward to watching it all the way through. What about you? Yeah, um, the same. I saw it at the cinema. Me and my friends went to go and watch it. I really enjoyed it when it was on. Um, I found that watching it on DVD, I really enjoyed it when I watched it on DVD. I think I probably got it for Christmas. And then it was one of those things where it felt it had like diminishing returns. Every time I watched it, it kind of got a bit worse. And so I just stopped watching it. And like you said, series three, I felt was quite weak and I've not really gone back too many times to that. Uh, I've got, I've got all three of them on DVD and the two films, but yeah, it, 
I've been looking forward to watching it again because, like I said, I, I spent so much time not wanting to watch it because I felt it, it kind of lost something in yeah watching it all those times. So, yeah, I guess uh, we should give it a watch. Let's get into it. Let's do it after this. Yeah, okay, I'll introduce this, but we've all got to go over together. Great. You fucking sad cases. You don't just walk up to a girl in a club and introduce yourself. It's creepy. Clubs are different rules, you dick. Look, you dance over near them, make the eyes, then get them to dance with you. Really? Annoyingly, that does sound right. Thank you. And then after a bit, you stand up behind them, pretend to slap them and fuck them up the arse. That might be a bit much. Yeah, I don't know. Oh, fucking hell, I'll do it. What about Nicole? She's only dancing, she likes my dancing. Stick with me, you'll be fine. Right then, Sai. Looks like the holiday starts here. We open with Will telling his dad, Anthony Head, which university he plans on going to. He doesn't know whether he's just going to defer and try again for Oxford or go to Bristol, which isn't a bad university, but it's not my dream. I didn't notice him saying that at the time, but that's the direct reference to that's where Ian Morris went to university in Bristol. So um, he must have written that line. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I, I was thinking that when I was doing my kind of research on uh, on Ian Morris and whatnot, thinking, ah, uh, <laughs> there's a man who knows. And uh, good to see Anthony Head playing a bastard. I love the line when um, Will's complaining about not being invited to his wedding. And Will says, oh, who was there? Oh, not many people, just a couple of hundred close friends and family. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Yeah, he's a dick, he's Will's dad. Um, and Anthony Head, also the uh, father of Emily Head, who plays Carly. So one of the connections there for the film. Uh, yeah, it turns out his dad wasn't listening and tells his son he's got married to his much younger wife, Susie. He would like to have invited Will, but he knows what he's like around people. Awkward. Changing the subject, he asks Will, what have you got planned for the summer? Will thinks he might be going on holiday. His dad mocks his suggestions. Oh, what are we going on? The Trans-Siberian Express? Fossil hunting in Dorset? Or something even weirder? Will says he's going somewhere normal with his normal friends to a place full of normal people. So now we have a title sequence of clouds and a loud generic rock song by the Vines. Felt very in keeping with the show in this respect. And just like the sitcom, Will's voiceover kicks in turns out his dad has shagged the work experience girl and then left will and his mum two years ago will moans about living in the safe stifling boring suburbia and he can't wait to fucking leave they do say you never know what's going on behind the net curtains of suburbia only we do it's jay having a wank with a packet of ham wearing a goalkeeping glove and a snorkel and goggles while he chats to an eastern european lady over a webcam the uh, the ham was a lovely addition Yes, yeah. I love the line where his mum says, uh, Jay's just updating his CV to me. <laughs> yeah, and then we've got Neil is working at a fish counter in a supermarket. He spots Jay's mum who says, that, yeah, Jay's at home working at CV. Neil is weighing some prawns for a customer. The clock hits 6pm and Neil leaves letting them fall on the floor. Sorry, mate, finish at 6 and then, he's, and then he starts snogging a chavvy-looking girl, played by Lauren O'Rourke, who would go on to star in Drifters, which is part of the legacy we'll get into later, with some of the other cast members of this film. We cut to some more kissing, and it's Simon and his crush for the entire run of the TV show, Carly! <laughs> <laughs> uh, she wants to talk, and he goes, oh no, not talking. Not talking. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Love that. 
Just yeah. Saying what he's thinking. Yeah, exactly. And she says, it's been great so far. And I like this bit where it goes, oh, you know, it's been the best year of my life. My spots have cleared up. Not moving to Wales. <laughs> uh, and then he pu- he says, oh, plus, you know, he- he's better at kissing now. Kind of searching for reassurance from Carly. But no, Carly wants to break up. They're both going away to uni soon. A long distance doesn't work. Plus, she's going on holiday soon. So there's that, which is <laughs> ominous. <laughs> oh, there's that. He... um. Simon has got a Jimmy Carr poster in his bedroom, hasn't he? Which is obviously a reference to Ian Morris and Damon Beasley both writing for him and working with him. Yeah, I put that Simon Lee. I like how Simon leaves Carly's house as well. Like he's whistling, like looks like really happy, and then just gets into his room and starts crying. <laughs> yeah, because <laughs> yeah, he kind of comes and goes, Hi, mum, what's for tea? And all that. And then he just, yeah, yeah like that. Now we're back to Jay Wankin. Tell me you love me. Horrifying. Mm, <laughs> that is horrifying. Yeah. And again, ham. <laughs> Why the ham? <laughs> yeah, hamming it up. Uh, Jay's mum walks in with his younger sister. Jay swears that he's looking at holidays whilst wearing nothing but the goggles, the snorkel and the glove. His grandfather's died. So now it's the final day of school. And Mr. Gilbert... Greg Davis is addressing the students at assembly. Essentially, he can't wait for them to leave. He wishes them well for the future and asks for them not to kill anyone as it reflects badly on all of us here. Uh, yeah, he is always was one of the best things about the show and for the limited amount of time he's in the film, he's one of the best things in the film. Yeah, uh, There's a little bit in the making of documentary about him hating the fact that Ian Morris and Damon Beasley have given him this really long speech to memorise and he just keeps fucking up. And there's all these clips of his outtakes and getting really uh, annoyed at the uh, extras in the crowd saying, it's really nice of you to laugh just as I'm about to start doing it again. (laughs) 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 A couple of the lines I love from that speech is him going, this isn't the dead poet society. (laughs) And, um, uh, Will at the end going, well, that was more upbeat than I expected. Yeah, yes. I like those. I like those bits. It's a really funny speech. And um, yeah, I think Greg Davis, an angry Greg Davis is up there with one of funniest people. He's kind of got that John Cleese kind of energy and comedic brilliance when he's pissed off. Yeah, definitely. Um, Jay tells them it's now the fourth time he's been caught wanking by his mum. Will gets a wedgie by school bully Mark Donovan until Carly saves the day and tells him to stop. How old does Donovan look? He's he's the one who's most obviously aged at this point, I think. Yeah, definitely. He looks like 35, to be honest. Simon Bird's wearing uh, cycling shorts for the wedgie scene to uh, protect his nether regions. Oh, wise, wise decision. I've put at this point, though, that it feels like the gag rate is nowhere near that of the show, mm. which I suppose is kind of an un- unfair thing to say, given it. So what, we're about 10 minutes into the film at this point, which is half a show. So obviously, halfway through a show, you've got to have had lots of gags. But I don't know. It's just a little bit more laboured, isn't it? Especially for the opening. Yeah, I guess because we've we've not got to the plot of the movie yet have we so i guess that's the thing is like in the show we would already be halfway through an episode so the plot would be set up in the opening scene 
Carly says hi to Simon, but he ignores her, so she storms off in a huff. Simon calls her a fucking bitch, which that felt a bit out of character for Simon, but mm. yeah. Yeah, something didn't quite work there. And yeah, he, he does immediately regret it and start to cry. None of the lads know what to do. After some prompting by Will, Neil puts his arm around Simon's shoulder and tells him he understands and he would have missed those tits. <laughs> Teenage boys always know how to console a friend. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> Simon doesn't know how he's going to get over her, but Jay has a solution. Every time Simon mentions Carly, he's going to get a slap in the balls and starts immediately. Simon moans that his life is over, but Jay tells him it's only just beginning. Because, you know, can go on a mental holiday together. Two weeks of sun, sea, sex, sand, booze, sex, minge, fanny and tits, booze and sex. I'm so glad you wrote the exact line down for that, because I've done a lot of ellipses in my face. Booze and sex, dot, 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 minge, dot, dot, fanny, booze. It took me three three or four goes to rewind it and go, oh. It was worth all that time, Guy, for sure. Thank you. Thank you, sir. So it was, it was the opposite of shooting Clunge in a Barrel than doing that bit. Yes, it was definitely the opposite of shooting Clunge in a Barrel. It was a lot of hard work, but it paid off. <laughs> the other three are up for this holiday of uh, sun, sea, sex, and booze and all the other, and they're going to go somewhere to find so many fit birds. It's like you just said, Rob, shooting Clunge in a Barrel. <laughs> The boys are now with their parents stood outside their houses waiting to go to the airport. Neil is wearing his sister's fake tan to get prepared. Well, just on his face and hands, and he looks fucking awful. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Again, very realistic. Yeah, exactly. There's so that's always good. someone who'll do that. Yeah, definitely. Jay and his Belen dad show up. Jay's dad, I mean, he's so horrible. It's just so horrible. That guy, that that actor whose name I forget, he's so I mean, he's so good in the office as well, isn't he? At playing yeah. awful bust. But like he's always he's the awful bastard you need for a bit of relief in a moment. So like mm. in the in this in the specials he does the uh telling off the pregnant woman who's up to that point been really fucking annoying. And but where in, in this he's just vindictive and awful, but actually that serves a really um important uh, it serves a really important purpose in terms of having some empathy with Jay, because otherwise you would just, both in the show and in the film, because otherwise you would just see Jay as, as being as awful as his dad is. But yeah. he isn't. He's just a kid. I love it. One of my favourite lines from this scene is that I always love in the show as well, like Simon getting really annoyed at every single thing, no matter how innocuous his mum says. And so... <laughs> She she just says something like really bland, like, oh, yes, it does look like that. Oh, yes, it does look like that. And he just gets, for God's sake, mum, shut up. That's very Kevin the teenager, but also very on point and very accurate. Yeah. And, another thing, and Simon's dad is really accurate as well as the embarrassing dad. I love his dad talking about when he went to Magaluf. Shagaluf, we called it. Yeah, Should have exactly. called it. <laughs> Should have called it Shagalot and hard. <laughs> just oh, painful yeah exactly i did i like that actor though he was in phone shop as well as the manager of the phone I, shop. I always forget his name but he is in loads i mean like it, all the parents in fact have uh, are 
kind of major kind of that comedy bit part players who are in loads of other stuff, aren't they? Mm. So Will's mum's in the IT crowd and loads of other. In fact, you could have done a connections and yeah. um, credentials just on those guys. The guy who plays Neil's dad's a guy called Alex McQueen, and he's in the thick of it. Yeah, but yeah, all all of these people are, are kind of sitcom stalwarts, and they need to be. They all yeah. need to be funny. I love the guy who plays Simon's dad. Again, his name I just always forget. He he's in one episode of Spaced where he plays the guy who owns the other comic book shop. And yeah. they just get him to look exactly like Bill Bailey. I love that. Yeah, it's when uh, Babylon 5's a load of shit. Yeah. <laughs> get out. <laughs> yeah, Neil um, has had matching T-shirts made for their trip with their nicknames on the back. So we've got Jay. He's Mr. Big Knob. Simon, Mr. Rebound. Neil, Mr. Lady Killer, and Will is Mr. I Fuck Kids. And Will has to, Neil says to Will, oh, you've got to give me £10 extra because the guy didn't want to print it. <laughs> <laughs> Which I thought was brilliant. Yeah, that's a great joke. Oh, yeah, and the T-shirts have a black and white cat on the front that looks like Sylvester from the Looney Tunes cartoon, and they all say, Pussy Patrol. And the cat's got a huge erection. Yes. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Yeah. Yeah. The flight has been delayed by seven hours and they've been told by the airport staff that they need to remove the T-shirts or they won't be allowed on the plane. The boys make it to Crete. Simon thinks that he spots Carly and shouts after her, but it's just another blonde-haired girl. They get on the coach. Neil spots some girls. Tidy Minge, 10 o'clock. We'll be meeting these ladies later. Jay ignores Neil, and Neil's ask, Neil asks him why he didn't chat these girls up. Jay, ever the bullshitter, says, you can't deal with that many at once. And then Neil's like, well, what about that net, netball team? Oh, well, that was all right, because that was a luxury caravan. <laughs> He's uh, getting back some of his confidence. The coach was way too small for his moves. So Will sets out the itinerary. They need to get to the hotel, unpack, go to sleep, and then tomorrow their first stop is the Minoan Palace of Knossos. Brilliant. And then Jay asks him, have you got on a lad's holiday by mistake? Which, uh, <laughs> yeah. which is good. It's a great, great line. The real plan is they're, they're going to get to the apartment, drop off the bags, then hit the bars. At the back of the bus, we have chants of, we love you Burnley, we do. So they get to a shithole apartment block that is basically a building site. A man is pulling a dead dog from a well. And this is where our four heroes will be spending their holiday. The coach leaves to the chance of how wonderful Burnley is. The man holding the dead dog must be the hotel owner. He hands them the key and tells them to have fun, but not too much fun. If you shit on the floor, it's 50 euro fine each time. <laughs> and then we have a squad ape who is also a fellow patron of the hotel and tells them that the conditions in, Af in Afghanistan are far better than this shithole. It tells the lads not to get married, and it turns out he owes a hotel manager 50 euros. Nice Blackburn Rovers tattoo on his arm. So entering the awful apartment, Will's voiceover wonders if a shit on the floor might have cheered the place up. <laughs> <laughs> which I like. The lads look shell-shocked. Will opens the fridge to find a tin of dog food, which has got a brown stain that's like running from it. The lads get ready for their first night out, because in Jay's words, the gash ain't gonna fuck itself, you know? Good, yeah, classic Jay. Yeah, getting them all in there nice and early. 
Emptying their suitcases, Neil's packed boxes, shirts, four cans of links, and two boxes of Frosties, and also a crumpled summer trilby. Jay shaves his pubes, Will decides which of the three identical shade of slacks he's going to wear, and Simon looks at a picture of him and Carly together in happier times. Smelling like an explosion at the Lynx factory and looking like the world's shittiest boy band, they hit the town. They spot a police car and shit themselves, foreign police. They're all corrupt, and if you don't have money to bribe them, they take you up to some shepherd that's in the hills and beat you and bum you, <laughs> says uh, Jay. Jay says he's got a 20 euro note up his arsehole just in case he needs to bribe the police. They meet a strange lad called Richard who's holidaying on his own. He likes to walk on the beach at night with a torch and watch people shag. It, it's a weird one, this character, isn't it? Because it's kind of, yeah, he, he is very strange and kind of comes out of nowhere. <coughs> but we've all met people like that uh, on nights out. And yeah. It's quite, quite an accurate dis- depiction of a pillet definitely yeah exactly um i remember when i first sort of watched the film that was a character i kind of maybe liked more than you know maybe like because they keep bringing him back don't they so we have a montage of the hedonistic strip of malia simon thinks he's seen carly again jay goes into sensor jay goes into sensory overload with all the attractive girls that he sees constantly saying she get it she get it for everyone that he sees. Neil is sad because he's got a girlfriend, so he can't take part. Jay tells him whatever goes on tour stays on tour. The girl handing out flyers convinces the lads to go to a nightclub called Marco's. It's a chilled out, sexy vibe. Jay asks if she's going to be there and says sexy a lot. She tells him, I will if you are. She drags him to the front door and they pay the bouncer. This this bit rings quite true, I think. We've all been suckered into going to shit clubs because of a sales pitch. Simon says that if she's on the outside, imagine the birds on the inside. They go in, and yes, it's absolutely dead. We've got the full house lights on, which definitely doesn't help the sexy, chilled-out vibe. Jay wants to stay because he thinks that the fit girl who conned them into going into this dead-end night spot is going to suck him off. Will says he wants to go and hit on girls he thinks are beneath him, but for their part, won't give him the time of day. Good line. Yeah. Says everything you need to know about Will, I think. Yeah, exactly. That's it. Yeah, very much so. As we're about to leave the as we're about to leave the club, the girls from the coach arrive. The boys convince Simon to go over and talk to them. Jay tells him, "You can't just introduce yourself. You need to go and dance near them, make eyes at them, and get them to dance with you." Neil takes a baton and he agrees to do the dancing. Now we have probably what is probably one of the most famous sequences of the film is the boys, apart from Jay, dancing over to the girls in this empty nightclub. And yeah, what we talked about with them having the um, choreographer for, and I think it's, it's kind of a that this film and that song we know speak Americano by Yolanda Be Cool. Mm. Uh, that's a kind of those two things are so 2011, aren't they? Yeah. And I actually I think we know speak Americano was number one before this film came out. Mm. But just to you know. What's it that that bit couldn't have been done to another song? I no, I don't think you can have one without um, the other now. Yeah, exactly. Every time you hear that song, you think of the film. So the girls look a mixture of perplexed and scared before finding it funny. Will asks if they can talk to them because this is embarrassing everyone involved. The blonde girl, Alison, played by Laura Haddock, says, Sit down, specs. 
Jay says to the barman that he's going to get stuck with the fat one, who he's referring to Jane, played by Lydia Rose Bewley. She's a bit posh and tells Jay that at first they were going to go to Malia, but in an ironic way, and then they decided that it actually might be a laugh to go to Malia. Jay tells her that he's met a really fit bird and she'll be along in a minute. Turns out the small talk is worse than their dancing. Will takes Neil and Simon to the toilet for a bit of a pep talk because basically they're dying on their asses out there. Neil says that Alison is out of his league and Jay walks into the toilet and pisses on the floor. Will tells Simon to talk to Lucy, played by Tam Lakari, about something he's passionate about. Tam Lakari from Cuckoo. Oh, yes. Also with Greg Davis. Another good, another good show. Yeah, I, that that pep talk in the toilet rings very true. Definitely, one thing that doesn't ring true for me, and I've got a bit. It's a big. It's probably one of my major problems with the film is the character of Alison. Me as, too. As played by Laura Haddock, she yes. seems massively out of place in this film. I was gonna say, I don't think she's a bad actor or anything. No, I just think she she's almost too glamorous. She's too well, glamorous. She is. She is too glamorous. Yeah, because she's basically playing a kind of like a bit vacated by Emily Atac, I guess, in Will's in being Will's love interest. But although Emily Atac is obviously very glamorous, she 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 has much more real kind of look to her. Laura Haddock looks like a model, and yeah, this character. None of their conversations really ring true. I don't, yeah, she's. It's a big sticking point for me. Me too. I was going to say, I, I didn't, I wanted to get to this point and I think, yeah, let's get into it now. She plays it for me like she's playing 25. I don't believe that she's an 18 year old girl who's gone on holiday with her mates. And I think that's a big problem. She's very self-assured, not saying that an 18 year old girl can't be self-assured, but their, their conversations, the fact she's like, sit down specs. She doesn't feel like a real person, whereas Emily Atak felt like a girl of that age who is out of Will's league, but also that he could probably get with. And also it doesn't work because the other three are so much more realistic. Maybe it's the way those characters are written combined with how they're playing them. Mm. But she, I don't think she, (laughs) that character would be friends with those three. No. Yeah. I don't know. I don't like, yeah, you don't get a sense that she's friends with them. And again, she's, she's all, she's got such a kind of woman of the world feel about her that I think a girl of her age wouldn't have. And she's so self-assured that it doesn't really work. Whereas the other character, Lucy in particular, feels very much like a girl of that age. And we don't really know about Jess Nappett's character, uh, Lisa, until kind of later on in the film. But the other character, Jane, feels very much of of that age. They are, yeah. They're those two are a lot better drawn, bizarrely, with less time in less time on screen and less written on the page. They seem to have done. Maybe it's the actors, or maybe it's just that, that they've given those two slightly more realistic characters. But yeah, mm. uh, the character of Alison is is a big misstep for me. Yeah, and I think I think that's my biggest probably issue with the film. Maybe is is that character. I would probably say it is probably is in the writing rather than the way because I I, I get the feeling that Laura Haddock is playing it the way it's written, mm. so she's not doing anything wrong for her for her part. No, as a bargain, but 
it just doesn't seem none of it seems right it, it's from seems to be from a different film yeah. and actually it seems to be from something a little bit by 2011 i think we're kind of not beyond the kind of nerdy wish fulfillment uh nerdy guy glamorous girl wish fulfillment stuff because mm. that's that's still happening now but there's certainly that is on a that's on the decline and actually the in between is, is is better than that yeah but this is and i i wonder if it's a little bit of exec interference possibly i don't know i wish just Nappet had had more to do because she's someone i really yeah. like and enjoyed her in drifters and other stuff i've seen her in and i wish she'd been given more in this yeah. film than just being a kind of silent character for the majority of it yeah for sure Will tells Simon to talk to Lucy about something he's passionate about, and we cut to him talking to Lucy about how amazing Carly is. She doesn't look very impressed, which I don't think you would, would you? Neil and Lisa, who's uh, played by Jessica Nappett, who we've already mentioned, sit in silence. Alison asks Simon if the nightclub hired them as an avant-garde dance troupe to scare the customers off. (laughs) Which is quite a nice line, but yeah. it again, it feels like a 25-year-old woman would say yeah. something like that and not an 18-year-old. She says that they came out earlier in the summer, she fell in love with a gorgeous local, and now she's back. Will starts to mock her, thinking that she's doing a bit, but turns out she isn't doing a bit. She really has to come out and met a Greek waiter called Nikos. Jay doesn't buy Jane a drink and starts stealing booze from behind the bar. Simon is now telling Lucy how he broke up with Carly. Um, annoyed, she acts like he's never mentioned Carly before. Oh, you went out with a girl called Carly? Oh, you should have said. I did. That's all I've been talking about, <laughs> which I liked. Yeah, brilliant. Yeah, she kind of looks at him with like pity and then tells him um, that she was going. And then Simon finally gets the message after being bashed over the head with it and apologizes to Lucy. Neil and Lisa ditch the awkward silence to go and dance. Neil and Lisa, I I think Blake Harrison and Just Snap It look a little bit like brother and sister. Yes, yeah. <laughs> Especially in that shot where they're sat next to each other in the in the booth. It's it's eerie. Yeah, I think they got the both like similar nose and. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Will still thinks that Alison's doing a bit and that she's really nailed the cliches, he tells her. Then he realises she isn't joking. She says that she has to go later uh, to see her Greek waiter boyfriend who might smash some plates or commit atrocities in Alatonia. She's like, you're not normal, are you? They have a, they do a bit of an explanation on the history of that joke uh, on the behind-the-scenes uh, oh really? The extras. It's just this little bit of the the, the, the Greek Turkish War of the <laughs> between <laughs> the wars and what the Greeks did in Turkey, and that's what that was about. Brilliant. Oh, that's cool. Lisa approaches the bar looking sad. Jane asks where that bloke she was dancing with's gone. Lisa moves to one side to reveal that Neil is grinding on two rough middle-aged women who look like dinner ladies. The girls get ready to leave. Lucy asks if they should all hang out together again at some point. Alison doesn't think that the lads are too bad, but she hears another bloke refer to women as gash. She'll scream. Simon and Will look worryingly at Jay, who's still at the bar. They invite them to an all-day boat party on Friday. It's sold out, but their rep reckons he can still get tickets. Simon asks what a boat party is. Lucy responds with, it's a party. All day. On a boat. There's, yeah, there's something really funny about when Simon does that. Joe Thomas is really able to play that kind of 
stupidity well. Well, he's not really listening to the person he's talking to. Yeah, exactly. Kind of teenage truism. Yeah. Um, Now the girls have gone, Simon thinks that out there they might actually be players. Uh, Simon and Will are ready to get some shut-eye, but not Jay because there's a bird so wet for him he can hear the waves breaking in her fanny. He's going to down his drink and take her down to the beach and fuck her brains out. Will says, it's not going to happen. Jay downs a drink. They find Neil fingering one of the middle-aged women. They say, what about his girlfriend, Nicole? Neil says, it's fine because they're not kissing. Aye, it's just fingers, isn't it, lovey? She sounds like someone from my hometown. <laughs> she's uh, she's brilliant. They do a little interview with her on the uh, behind the scenes as well. And uh, yeah, they do that scene with, I think she's wearing about seven layers or something. <laughs> Good. (laughs) Back out on the strip, Simon thinks he sees Carly. Will says it's only natural he'd feel this way after a breakup, but it's going to be unlikely that they see her here. That's when Neil drops a bombshell that it could be her, because she's out in Malia as well. Dun, dun, dun. I'm wondering at this point, because they released two versions in the cinema, perhaps to kind of capitalise and get more ticket sales, but they they did like a extended cut there was an 18 so there's the 15 version that was released in cinemas and remember how they used to like when they released american pie on vhs and dvd there'd be like the Mm. the extra uh the 18 version yeah Uh, i think they actually did this a few weeks after they released it and they released the 18 version i'm wondering here if 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 i'm watching the 18 or the 15 version because jay does jay call someone a cunt around this time as well doesn't he yes it does i think that wouldn't be in a 15 i think but they say cunt a couple of times so i don't think that's it must be watching the 18 version uh turns out neil asked her mates where they were going because they're cool and would know the best places so he booked it as well simon then does spot carly and asks the others if this is fate bringing them both together you know to be at the same holiday destination Ever the voice of reason, Will tells him no. It's only because Neil asked where they were going and booked the same place. Simon runs over to talk to Carly, hoping there's a chance they might actually get back together. Carly says it's great to see him. Simon wants to hang out, but she can't right now. But she will be at the boat party on Friday. Alas, hurrah, before she leaves on Saturday. She says it'll be nice to hang out again, and she's missed him. Simon is brought back to reality when he's knocked over by a quad bike. And this is James, the holiday rep, or unofficial rep. Played by Theo James, who was most recently in the second series of White Lotus. And brilliant in it, he is too. Have you seen any White Lotus? I've seen the first series, but I've not seen the second. So both he and Will Sharp, who I think, I mean, Will Sharp's probably someone we're going to end up talking about quite a lot on this podcast, but Mm. they are both in the second series of White Lotus, both playing Americans, even though they're both Brit. Um, and it's, yeah, he's he's really good in the White Lotus. And it, when I saw it, because I, I just hadn't remembered this character at all from the film, it's like, oh, it's the guy from White Lotus. Yeah. Playing, expertly playing an absolute fucking arsehole. Awful, awful person. <laughs> uh, he plays yeah. him really well, though. You get that awful, slimy kind of club rep. Yeah. Nails it. Yeah, he's the unofficial rep, sorts out club nights, PR, just making sure everyone's having a good time, you know. Carly gets a lift from the from James uh, on the quad bike. Jay approaches a flyer girl. Oh, this scene's like fucking excruciating as well. Um, oh, yeah. 
Yeah, he approaches a harsh reality. Yeah, definitely. Uh, He approaches the flyer girl from earlier saying that she stood him up. She tries to brush you off. He asks her to kiss him and then tries to grab her. She pushes him away, asking what gives him the right to touch her. Will steps in and apologizes. The girl is sick of all these guys who think they have a right to touch her because she smiled at them. It's my job, you cretin. Jay asks if she's on the blob and then she slaps him and storms off. Yeah, it's one of those moments where, like, it's quite hard to like Jay at this point, <laughs> even though he is. Yeah, yeah, it really is. Well, he's he's the one who goes on most of the of a journey, isn't he? Out of all the characters, I would yeah, say. yeah, definitely. And I think that's why, like we said earlier, you need to have his dad character in. Oh, if it wasn't for that, yeah, he, he'd be un- irredeemable. Yes, exactly. So Jay wants to stay out, but the others want to go home. Neil says that not sleeping for two nights is the same as not sleeping for one. Neil goes back to the club to find his older woman, but might need some help as she could be a two-man job. (laughs) (laughs) Lovely. Yes. (laughs) The image that paints. The following morning, and Will is woken by what sounds like Bigfoot having an asthma attack. This is one of the funniest bits of the film, is hearing what she says through the (laughs) wall, which again... (laughs) yeah uh what does she say oh no i've written it down i've got it spunk all over me bastard tits (laughs) (laughs) yeah like johnny vegas yeah turns out will spent all his money in one night 100 euros they find jay passed out by the well with his face in the dirt they turn him over to find his face covered in ants the lady from neil's room leaves and says Kiss it up, bye. Not once she's been fed. <laughs> she's she's brilliant. That actor playing that character is yeah, one of the best one of the best things in the film. Hundred percent. She's brilliant. And again, very realistic. Simon is off to find the girls from last night so he can get tickets to the boat party. Will wants to come as well so he can speak to Alison. Jay makes some horrible comments about spotting the girl he was with from outer space. They go to the girls' hotel, which is a lot nicer than their shithole. Jay throws the towels that are on the sun loungers into the pool and calls the Germans, who might have reserved them, Krauts and Nazis. Jay and Neil go to look for the Cheekers, as they call them. Will asks Simon to rub some suntan lotion on his back. He tries to do it himself until Simon gives him a hand and draws a lovely cock on his back. Neil and Jay are approaching the girls when a small boy spots that Jay is wearing Man United shorts. He decides to humour the kid because the girls are loving it. The kid pushes Jay into the pool and everyone laughs and Jay tries to chase after him. You're fucking dead, you little shit. The Cheekers are not impressed and Jay tries to laugh it off unconvincingly. The four girls from last night show up and Alison asks if Will knows a spunking cock is on his back. Simon makes a joke about not being the first time, which gets a laugh out of Lucy. Good bit. Alison offers to burn a muff on her tit as well if it makes him feel less self-conscious. Lucy's going to start drinking again. Simon is going to join her. Lucky me, she says to Alison. Alison is talking about having sex with her way to boyfriend and then asks Will about the best sex he's ever had. This is where he reveals he's virgin. She thinks he's funny. Will asks if he can get a girl into bed by making her laugh. Of course he can, if she's a clinical moron. Which, again, feels like it doesn't feel like an 18-year-old girl would say that. Nah, yeah, exactly. It's very much a comedy a comedy line, I think. 
Simon tells Lucy how great it is to see her and asks about the boat party tickets. She's thrilled that he wants to come as well. Then he tells her that Carly's here and she's going to the boat party as well. He just needs five minutes alone with her and then he knows that they'll fix things up. So, you know, can you go and get the tickets? Poor Lucy. Obviously, she's gutted. You really know how to make a girl feel special, don't you? Yeah, I know. Carly's going to love it, he says with a big stupid grin. Yeah, I'm losing patience with Simon <laughs> at this point as well. You yeah. Know, when really, like most of the time, like most of the time in the series, I'm, because he, I can't believe we haven't already had this conversation, Guy, but when I think about, it's kind of a question that every, every man has to answer, which of the in-betweeners are you? Mm. And I, I'm definitely a mixture of Will and Simon, and so much of what Simon does in the series reminds me of you know awful things that have happened to me or or the awkward things that i've done and said mm. um and i guess he, he's just being a bit of an insensitive ass like all the way through this isn't he and even even when it comes to his redemption he doesn't hasn't really earned hasn't really earned it has he? no no exactly i feel so sorry for lucy for the lucy character mm. like what she goes through like for this idiot and like you say, even at the end, it's not really felt like he deserves her. No. Do you know what I mean? And like the fact that she kind of like waits around for him. This is actually a kind of overarching point I was going to make about, about the film as a whole. But remember when we were talking about um, Man About the House and how the character of Robin is like a less likable version of the character he plays in the, in the TV series. Mm. This is, for me, all four of them, maybe with... No, actually... Not even with the exception of Neil, because Neil's being an arsehole cheat on his yeah. on his girlfriend as well, isn't he? They're all slightly, slightly worse people than they are in the TV series, and I think that's another reason why when I first saw it, I had the kind of slight sense of diminishing returns, as you say, because it's not they're not they're just they're just they're not quite as likable as they are in the in the TV series. Yeah, it feels like there's more kind of they're more manipulative in in this film, and I think mm. that's the problem with bringing the female characters in is it's that manipulation, that manipulative aspect to them of just trying to get laid. Mm. Maybe that's something to do with it. I don't know. It just feels very much like it's sort of like a joke that they've got running, but it's starting to wear a bit thin. Is the fact that Simon cannot see what's staring him directly in the face and he treats Lucy like absolute shit, Mm. which some 18 year old boys do have the tendency to do that to girls who like them. But yeah, again, like it's, it's not necessarily unrealistic, Mm. but it's just, I don't know. It's it's just not quite in keeping with the lovability of those characters up to this point in the TV series. Yeah, I'd agree. Definitely. So Neil has forgotten his trunks to wear so he wears his boxes in the pool with lisa the small boy appears again and threatens to throw water over jay he does and then jay chases him a middle-aged man appears saying no sunbeds are mine and where are the towels that we left on them allison tells him they weren't there when they arrived the man has a goater the pool attendant he's been in quite a few like sitcommy things recently i can't remember i think you've maybe in staff let's flats okay I think he goes yeah, out I with I Tash. Okay. Yeah, I've seen him in a few things. I think he goes out with Tash's character in, in that. Um, yeah, the pool attendant 
The pool attendant tells them they need to move somewhere else. Will makes a scene. There are signs saying you can't reserve sun loungers. And this guy is too lazy to walk 20 meters. He then spots the man's disabled daughter in a wheelchair, being handed a wet Finding Nemo towel. Making it worse is Neil's underwear has gone see-through, and we can now see his penis. Now, I know this may very well... I mean, it obviously is a reference to... The, that same joke basically in the first series of Inbetweeners. And, mm. you know, it's obviously, it's maybe done as a kind of nod for fans of the show to go, oh, look, he's done it again. But they don't actually ever say, that's not referenced of why am I always doing this? So actually, it ends up looking as quite lazy, just writing the same joke again, but not as well. Yeah. In fact, this entire section, I doubt there's stuff with the kid in the pool as well. There's some horrible ADR when um, Jay is um, fighting with the kids, um, and just all all of that stuff. I don't, I, I, I don't really like any of this section. Yeah, I don't think it's very good. And like you say, I think the bit in the series is a better joke with the frisbee. And the disabled yeah. girl. Oh God! I, well, I wasn't even talking about that. But yes, oh, it's that. No, I'm talking about the the at Thorpe Park. Oh, of course, yeah. He's complaining about the not being able to go on the front, um, the front row of the rides. Yeah, and that's the, a better the, joke the, than this. Jez picked up the child and threatened to throw him in the pool. Child says he can't swim. Jez spots that everyone is watching, so he puts the kid down. It's just a joke. We're mates. The kid pulls Jez's shorts down, shows dick. So little, so little, the kid shouts, laughing. So Jay throws him in the pool and he sinks like a stone. Some bigger boys jump to the rescue. Boys are kicked out of the hotel. Simon blames Jay. What have I done? Looks like they won't be getting the tickets for the boat party after all. Jay calls Carly a miserable cunt. Yeah, there we go. So that that's where that is. And actually, and I forget that he's talking about Carly as well, isn't he? So yeah, yeah this, this is very, this is the... The 18 version, for sure. Definitely. And this this causes Simon and Jay to have a fight while some lads on quad bikes uh, laugh at them. I quite like this fight because it's so it, pathetic. It's it's so realistic as well, isn't it? Yeah. Because they they plainly, you know, those characters love each other so much that they never actually want to hurt one another. But they yeah. kind of show that they're having a fight. Exactly. And I think, I imagine that neither of them are, have ever been in a fight as well, which makes it funny. There's this sort of grappling yeah. going on. This, <laughs> Yeah, exactly. It's really good. Back at the apartment, Simon packs his suitcase, even though he's not leaving. Jay is out on an arcade, hitting one of those punching games, says that he's never liked Simon. And Neil's like, well, you've been mates since primary, which I liked. Simon is going to sell his clothes to raise money for a ticket to the boat party. Jay reveals to Neil that he's bought boat party tickets and he got them the other night before he passed out. He wanted to surprise them, but ritz them up instead, turning them to confetti. Neil asks him what they should do now. Jay says what they came here to do. Get better at swimming? No, go on pussy patrol. Another call back to the series. Mm -hmm. Simon and Will are stood next to the lucky, lucky men who sell sunglasses and other tat. And Simon's trying to sell his clothes. James, the rep, shows up with his mates. What's this? The world's shittest boot fair. Turns out James's mate has had his apartment broken into and he's lost all his clothes. Going to give him a ring. I mean, it's fucking obvious what's going going on here. And the fact that Simon doesn't see it. I just don't believe the, yeah, that he would be that gullible or that anyone would be that gullible. 
doesn't work for me that scene no you got the lines like oh yeah got some girls t-shirts these are girls right jeans jeremy clarkson wears yeah it's all shit yeah so he's going to give him 100 euros for the lot but that includes what he's wearing now that's the deal simon takes his clothes off just stood in his boxers will tries to reason with him but it doesn't work he takes off his undies james says that he'll be back him and his mates laugh as they walk away it's now sunset Simon is sat with a newspaper covering his privates. Simon realises that James isn't coming back. Using Will's polo shirt, Simon makes some pants. They overhear some chatting from the bar and they're going to find Mr. Gilbert down in two yards of ale with no shirt on and a tie wrapped around his head. I don't remember this from the cinema version and it very much is a standalone scene. I wonder if it was if that was added for the second version. Yeah, because I, I don't remember it. I I'm it. Yeah, I'm the same. I just I just thought you saw Mr. Gilbert at the end on the quad bike. Mm. Yeah, I think that I think that's the, it's either yeah, the the DVD version or the or the second 18 version that they did. Will gets um, Gilbert's attention who in turn puts his finger across his throat. Simon and Will leave broken men. Jay and Neil hit the clubs in their offensive t-shirts. They make it to the front of the stage where they await a sexy dancer. Instead, they get Fernando, the master of self-fellatio. Jay tells him it's not gay, it's decadent. I do like the kind of way they keep using that, that word decadent. It's decadent, yeah. yeah. It's brilliant, yeah. But it's too much for the boys and they leave the front of the stage as Fernando sucks himself off. Simon and Will are outside eating some snacks as they bump into Richard, who thinks he might have killed a bodybuilder. They ditch him and go to the same bar as last night. Jay and Neil spot James the rep. He looks like a laugh. I mean, he doesn't, does he? <laughs> he really doesn't. Looks like the sort of person you'd want to avoid. Yeah. And he's doing that thing where you tap someone else's pint with a bottle to get it to froth over. He's James with his so-called mates. Jay says it's time that the Pussy Patrol recruited some new members. They approach James and tell him that they're mates of Carly's. Carly Klingon, nice girl, but a bit too keen. Says James, Jay tries to act cool in front of James, saying that he likes the club they're in. James asks him if Jay is bent because he's seen a guy suck his own cock. Jay says they're not gay, they're the Pussy Patrol, James says. More like the bumming brigade, and the only pussy they'll get is a cat. Cue no laughter from his idiot pals. He repeats the joke, which wasn't funny the first time. Neil laughs and gets called a lanky prick. Jay tries to reason with James, who grabs him by the neck and threatens to slash his throat with a glass. I did like how fucking nasty that scene was. They've pro- they're probably laying it on thick, aren't they? In case you're, in case you're wondering, <laughs> in case you're unsure of this James character. Yeah, exactly. Uh, yeah, well, yeah. So yeah, we've seen the jovial kind of bullying, and now we've seen the really fucking nasty side to him. But don't worry, he'll get his comeuppance. Yeah, don't worry, kids. James his, will not his bumuppance. <laughs> Jay and Neil leave. Jay starts crying. Neil asks him if he wants to go somewhere that isn't decadent, which again, I like that. (laughs) Simon and Will copper up at the bar. Jay covers his Pussy Patrol t-shirt with his check shirt. Simon and Will do shots. Jay and Neil turn up and the boys make up and have a nice group hug. They make Neil do a suicide shot, snort salt, down tequila and squirt lime juice in your eyes. When the girls turn back up, I do one of Alison's lines that I do like is uh, "Nice of Richard Branson to give you." Oh no, she doesn't say it, does she? No. Who, who says that? That's it's Lucy. Lucy. Nice of Richard Branson to lend you an outfit. Yeah, 
So Simon Munz, even if Lucy can't get him a ticket to the bow party, he now can't afford one. Will says it might be hard for him to believe, but he wasn't talking about him. Uh, Alison says that this is the only bar where the guys aren't total animals. Will is going to take that as a win. Jane says it shots all around and asks Jay if he's man enough. Of course I am, he says, getting a bit of his groove back. Thought you were, she says. He has a nice little smile at this kind of compliment. It's nice to see that actually someone probably be nice to him for a change and what it kind of does for him. Even though he's been a total dick to her, it's kind of obvious that he does like her, which is quite nice, I think. Will tries to tell Alison that her boyfriend isn't right for her. She lists all the reason that he is, including being a sensational lover. I mean, the 18-year-olds talk like that? No. Where Lucy says it's nice of Richard Branson to loan him an outfit. Turns out it's Neil's. At least she looks fantastic, much to her surprise. Finally getting a compliment is Lucy. He orders four shots and says they'll drink until they're sick through their noses. She likes his Simon. He's fun. He asks her to pay back to reality with a bump for poor Lucy. (laughs) That that is a moment where he's being a prick that I quite liked. Yes, because that feels like in keeping with the character. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Jay does shots with Jane, but doesn't want to do any more. She calls him a lightweight. He says that she's one to talk. What? Because I'm fat. No, no, I'm I'm going to drink you under the table, he says. Sort of saves the situation. Alison tells Will that because he's funny, he shouldn't have any worries about getting laid. Plus, she's not the answer. Will, for his part, thinks that she is. She even makes a deal with him. If he hasn't had sex by this time next year, she will have sex with him as long as she's single. Will wants it in writing. Lisa shows up looking sad. Neil is motorboating another middle-aged woman's breasts, <laughs> which is a good bit. Jane says they should get out of there and go swimming. Simon hasn't brought his costume, but then neither has Lucy. She's going in naked, but what is he going to do? Me too, he says with a gulp. Will is shot at the skinny dipping and asks Alison if she's going to join them. Unfortunately, she's meeting her boyfriend in half an hour, so she's only got time for a quick dip. Lucy strips off, but Simon is too nervous, so he asks her to look away, but she does catch a glimpse. Jane strips off in front of Jay and asks him for a snog. Some lads behind him make arm motions to try and make out that she's a big girl. Jay says he'll do it, but let's go somewhere secret. Jane says that she wants to do it here, and Jay says that he'd rather do it somewhere where no one can see them and points out these lads. She tells him to forget it, plus she's already seen his cock and it wasn't pretty. Jay watches her run off down the beach, tossing her bra away. Will is still trying to woo Alison by using logic to get into her pants. There's an awkward silence and she starts to strip off. Will looks nervous. She takes off her bra and knickers and stands there naked. More awkwardness. She tells Will to take his clothes off. He does. She tosses his glasses into the sand and then lets her feel her boobs up. That's it till next year, I'm afraid, and then runs off. That's weird, isn't Mm. it? Yeah. Just out of yeah uh, kind of out of nowhere and a, a, a little little bit gratuitous and it's st- such a stupid thing to say about the in-betweeners movie but you know what i mean yeah i know you're getting that i think the whole skinny dipping scene again as there's, there's just more and more little sections that aren't working for me and i think when they when they first arrive in malia it's, it's when it's at its funniest kind of up up to the point the end of the first night or the sorry, the beginning of the next morning with Neil shagging the granny, but mm. I don't know. It's it's lost lost its way for me a bit at this point, and that's kind of manifest by 
scene after scene of bits not working and the, the majority of the scene not working. And we talked about it with the swimming pool thing with the kid and the disabled girl and the uh, Simon selling all his clothes and now this. Yeah, no, yeah, it's it's all a real saggy middle act. Yeah, so we have the I've lost my glasses from Will, which uh, I seem to remember being in the trailer for the film as well of mm-hmm. him losing glasses, Fall, in, falling on the couple having sex. Yeah, yeah, we've got that bit to come uh, in the water. Lucy takes a piss out of Simon's wet look gel. He splashes her with water, and they nearly kiss. And then he spots Carly walking along the beach, and the moment is ruined. Will looks for his glasses in his with his boxes around his ankles. I do like the way he falls over the couple having sex. That is really funny. The way he kind of yeah. falls onto the man. Well, what's quite good about that bit is that you think that's just going to be a, a throwaway bit, and then it turns out that the man having sex is... The Greek waiter, Nikos, Alison's boyfriend. Yeah, turns out he's meeting Alison in 15 minutes. Nikos moves fast. And lo and behold, he is a two-timing bellend. Yes, he is. He begs for forgiveness, parroting the phrases that Will used earlier when he first heard about Nikos. I love you. You're the only girl for me. Sounds a bit more Manuel, that. I (laughs) apologise. I'll let it slide. Callie sees Simon swimming towards her. She's surprised by it and he tells her it's a new him. Turns out she liked the old Simon. Anyway, she's off to bed. Simon asks if he can come. That's a no, but she'll still see him at the boat party. Lucy has gone. Alison tells Will that she'll never sleep with anyone again and certainly not him. She leaves with a fuck off and runs away crying. He asks if this has affected the deal. He's then punched in the belly by Nikos. Lucy puts her clothes back on. Simon can't understand why, and he's just seen Carly, and isn't she beautiful? Gutted, Lucy walks off with her sandals in her hands. It's the fact that they don't realise, do you know what I mean? None of them, all this stuff happens, and none of them realise, I've just been a fucking dick. Is this is this just supposed to be a comment on, you know, t- teenagers are... Nowhere near as self-reflective as they as they need to be in situations of um, in, in situations like this. Yeah, or I don't know, or or is it just a just a little bit kind of lazy? Mm. I don't know. I don't could know. It, could this where, be where we're starting to tighten up the plot a little bit? I do. I do think there's a way of of getting this down. Yeah, there there, there are definitely. It's, it's a weird thing to say about a film that's only what an hour and thirty eight, but it it could definitely be shorter mm. and would be better for being shorter. I think. Will is back at the apartment, staring at his reflection in the murky swimming pool as the squaddy crushes another beer can with his head. Neil turns up and philosophizes on life. Really like this bit. He stopped worrying about things when he realised that God is dog spelt backwards. Neil's done a poo in the children's toilet, or B-Day, to the rest of us. The lads go back on the lash, and we have a nice clubbing montage. Soundtracked by uh, Mike Skinner. Uh, Mike Skinner did the um, did the did all the new music for this film. Uh, I, saw, I thought he did something, yeah. But it was, it was under Mike Skinner rather than under the streets, because it's all... It's all um, 
instrumental stuff. So it's, it's him kind of producing stuff rather than uh, rapping over the top. Mm. Uh, but that that song is called Clunge in a Barrel. Of course. Brilliant. They do the montage too, and it's a, a lovely bit of dub, and I really like it. I really like that piece of music, and I thought it worked really, because it's, it's got that nice scar feel yeah. to it doesn't it and it, it it really fits in with those sort of nightclub scenes it has a nice kind of euphoric kind of feel simon talks to jay about going to uni which makes jay feel left out he was going to use his granddad's inheritance to set them up in business selling car stereos to premier league footballers then he says like me and rio ferdinand we're going to be doing the sales brilliant yeah love all that that's a classic bit of old jay isn't it yeah yeah Jay tells Simon about ripping up the boat party tickets. Simon and Jay fight again. That's until Will's about to go to sleep in the ant's nest. The two stop fighting to carry their friend to bed. It's kind of a nice, like, touching little bit, is that, I think? Yeah. Uh, Now it's the day of the boat party. Jay and Neil still have their tickets. Will is dying. The puking has turned to retching, at least. They spot the girls, Lucy Blank, Simon, and Alison doesn't act too warmly to Will either, who collapses on the floor. Simon asks, what's wrong with Lucy? Maybe you should ask her rather than talking about his ex the whole time. And he might find out, responds Alison. Jane gives Jay the cold shoulder. Alison sits with Will and tells him that seeing him in such a state has cheered her up a bit. Will tells her that whenever she's down to come and find him so they can hang out. Alison agrees and offers him Nikos's ticket to the boat party on one condition he can't say he told her so. Will ditches Simon, who is sat on the beach with Lucy. Simon apologises for being such a dick and under Lucy's instruction for having too much gel in his hair, she laughs. He tells her to get going, otherwise she'll miss the party. You know what? She's not that bothered. Instead, they could just hang out, just the two of them. He says it's fine. He won't be good company anyway, and she should just go. Lucy offers him her ticket, but only if he really wants to go. There's a lot of emphasis on the really in this bit. Mm. But Simon grabs the ticket without a second thought and runs towards the boat, leaving a stunned Lucy sat in the sand. Every time, she she surely would have just given up on him by now. Surely. Yeah. He's being such a prick. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. Now we're on the boat with lots of slow motion shots of good-looking young people dancing. The boys do a toast to the pussy and being players, and Simon goes off to find Carly. Jay's off to find Jane. Neil looks confused. Jay tells him that he likes her and that she's a laugh. The fat ones usually are. Neil says, Jay calls him out and says, what a horrible thing to say. Jay's grow some balls at last. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. And then uh, J- and then Neil and Richard turn out to be uh, mates. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. We uh, we get to that in a min. Uh, tequila sets Will off, who's sick again, over two couples who are both making out. <laughs> Simon spots Carly having a ride with James. He might have a realisation, but it's hard to say. Neil spots Richard as you say, whose parents have flown out to take him home. They're pretty cool. They're on the boat as well. Neil goes to meet Richard's parents. He shakes hands with the dad and goes in to give the mum a kiss on the cheek when Lisa appears. Back off, bitch. Not this time. (laughs) I like that. She drags Neil away. Jay finds Jane, who questions if he wants to be seen with her. He says that he really does. And also, he'd like that snog now. In front of everyone, she asks? Yeah. He would actually. Well, she'd rather do it in private, but he might get a blowjob out of it. 
So, you know, Jay's finally winning. Simon is looking sad when Carly shows up and hugs him. She's been looking all over for him, and then she starts to kiss him passionately. Only her eyes are open, and she's looking directly at James, the rep, trying to make him jealous. Will's sick again. Alison moans about Nikos being a twat. Will says, I told you so. At least he's consistent. Alison has a new offer. Uh, And then this is... mm, Alison has a new offer. Instead of sex in a year, she's now offering sex all year, a one-time offer. And she's like, oh, what, is my girlfriend or as a prostitute? It's Defo the girlfriend. She says that she really likes him, and if he likes her too, then they're on. He goes for a kiss, not until he's brushed his teeth. Yeah, I've written here, so unlikely. I think you and I feel the same thing about this this scene, which is... Yeah, it, yeah. It's, a, it's a culmination of something that never really worked all the way through the film and was a was a big problem, and now it's going to manifest itself in this kind of silly ending, which yeah, doesn't true. It never really feels earned that the fact that she's now saying, "Why don't you become my boyfriend?" or "I'm going to be your girlfriend now," and we we, we become a couple is just feels so out the realms of. I know it's mm. I know it is a piece of fiction, but it. it out of you know it doesn't suspend disbelief does it that this would all of a sudden will gets a girlfriend out of it and it's laura haddock who's stunning yeah you know yeah none of it kind of feels you know in a in a like well i've already covered this but in a program that is in a lot of ways very realistic so much of this film isn't in even by its own rules that it's set in the tv show yes and so that's that's where it's going to lose a lot of points for me. Uh, yeah, I agree. So back to Carly. She's still trying to make James jealous. She breaks the kiss and says that should do it. Simon goes on about how he'll move to her unit and get a job, and that way they can be together forever. Not that she's heard it. She asks him to kiss her again. Simon spots James and realises he's messed up. He wishes her the best with her life and that she'll never see him again. Only she will. It's his mum's birthday in two weeks and his brother's 16th the following week. Neil is below deck humping Lisa, but she feels bad about it because Neil's got a girlfriend. But they're not kissing. Turns out Nicole dumped Neil before they went on holiday and he didn't say anything to the others because he was embarrassed. They can now kiss and they do kiss. Jay and Jane leave the toilet and bump into James. He's about to make some fat jokes when Jane cuts him off and beats him to the chase. James tells Jay he owes him a favour. Jane says they weren't doing drugs in there. James says there's a law against fucking cattle, even in Greece. Jay Jay reaches into his underpants and retrieves the note he's been hiding up his arse for the entire movie. James goes into the toilet, snorts some cocaine, and also snorts some poo with it. Does that callback come too late? Because I'd forgotten about the 20 up his ass. I mean, it's good. And it serves as a really good part of the film, Mm. you know, so that James gets his comeuppance. Uh, But I think maybe the rolled up 20 needs to come maybe a bit later in the film. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe maybe you're right. Um, You're you're right. It's almost the entire length of the film, isn't it? Yeah. From when that scene is planted to when the payoff comes. Even as some shit hanging off the end of his nose... And he's not as good with the ladies. He smiles at afterwards. So, yeah, the ladies aren't interested once they see that he's got shit on his nose. Simon realises that Carly isn't all that, and Lucy might actually be the one. Alison assures him that even though he's been a massive dick to her, she still likes him. Simon's going to swim back to shore and tell Lucy how he feels. Lucy gets a text from Alison to let her know. 
she's still sat on the beach. Simon has ditched her, and mm. she's just sat there like a sad sack. Yeah. Poor Lucy. The whole boat cheers Simon on, and he dives into the sea. He sets off on his mission with a roar from the crowd, fade to black. Everyone is watching in shock as he's hardly moved. It doesn't help he's swimming against the tide. Simon starts to drown. We fade to black again. The fading down and fading up is a really good way to do that joke, I think. Yes, I agree. <laughs> like how everyone's losing enthusiasm for his, uh, for his yeah. plight. Yeah, his I really plight. like that. It's a nice touch, is that? Yeah, I thought it was very good. Uh, Simon is rescued by a helicopter. He's dragged up onto the beach. Lucy finds him and kisses him. He tells her that he thinks he shit himself and he's taken off on a stretcher. Back on the boat, Will's brushed his teeth, so he gets to kiss Alison. Jay and Jane are acting really cute together. Lisa and Neil are humping again. James still has shit on his nose and gets blanked by a couple of girls. Now we have a post-credit sequence of the gang visiting Simon in hospital with their new girlfriends. Yeah, this post-credit sequence is, is all like a little bit ahead of its time because these are supposed to be like kind of camera phone footage. But yeah. I, 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 but yeah, smartphones kind of becoming ubiquitous in 2011, I guess. Mm. Um, but that stuff was all shot on a a7s or equivalent like a basically a stills camera because they wanted it to look like they were filming on their phones the boys and the girls make it to the airport where they meet their parents neil appears hand in hand with lisa and in the background we can see nicole waving looks like she didn't dump him after all and neil realizes and runs off hand in hand with lisa the final shot is mr gilbert driving down the strip on a quad bike the end well, I think we've we've pretty much covered what we thought about it. Uh, for me, I, I can draw a lot of um, a lot of parallels actually with with Man About the House in that. Well, I can and I can't because I, I already knew I liked the In Betweeners, and it was great. I had such a great time revisiting the mm. series. and yeah. probably laughed as much as I did, you know, first time I watched it. Um. And so was really looking forward to seeing the film, but was ultimately disappointed. It, it wasn't as wasn't as good as the first time I watched it. Definitely, as you suggested, uh, diminishing returns. But yeah, ultimately, and I, I, I think this is kind of this is now the, the second one we've done that is a, a spin off of a TV show, and it's kind of both of them so far for me have proved the initial point of the podcast that we were exploring the the question of whether taking sitcom characters out of their environment and changing format and doing it as a film works mm. not, nowhere near as but as a standalone thing yes it is quite funny and actually when we get to it against the other ones we've seen it, it's one of the stronger offerings but in comparison to the show it's it's nowhere near yeah, I'd I'd agree. I feel like at times it feels like it's retreading all ground, as we previously said. I think the female characters are more... The Alison character feels unrealistic and doesn't really relate to the rest of it. And I think that it, the characters feel a bit of a paler comparison than the ones in the show. Like you said, I've, I, I didn't watch the show as much as you did on uh, for the podcast, but I've seen it so many times that it's still... It's still great. I still love it. And it just feels, again, that Dimension Returns. I enjoyed watching the film again, but at the same time, you can still see. I think because I've had some time away from it, I probably enjoyed it a little bit more than I was expecting to. But at the same time, I can still see all the problems that it that it's got. 
I, I mean, I think ultimately I, I suffered from the same problem that I had the first time I saw it, is that I went into it knowing I liked the in-betweeners, and this time I went into it having rewatched it and saying, oh, yeah, and reminding myself of how much I loved the in-betweeners, and then ultimately being let down. And mm. That's th- a shame, really. Yeah. But I've never, I've never seen the second one. Have you not? I, and I will not see the second one until we do it for this show. Well, speaking of the second one, I guess that forms part of this film's legacy. What else would you say is the legacy of this film? Yeah, I think that what it did was it, the Inbetweeners as a whole, it created a new kind of language within kind of popular culture, you know, things like Clunge, Bus Wanker, ooh, Fwen, Fwen. Those are so recognisable. And even now you can just, someone can go, oh, yeah, it's my friend, ooh, Fwen. I've still do that now you know i think it's the last comedy that was part of the cultural landscape that actually felt like it was almost maybe not event television but the last sitcom that really kind of got through to the culture and actually made an impact on people that everyone watched it and everyone knew the references and you can say that about the film as well it was an event film yes as you can see by what it did at the box office as you can see by the amount of paparazzi that went out to magaluf hiring a boat to get shots of of the cast you know this was it was a big fucking deal yeah and i think that it's something that you brought up earlier as well rob that is like which which in between are you and i think we all can can i feel like i'm more of a will kind of character like i kind of yeah feel like that more of that character and i think everyone kind of does that and everyone looks at the people in that and kind of fits their friendship group into who those people are Mm. as well yeah oh for sure you know and you've got like jay became the shorthand for like a bullshitter all the memes, you know, the new FIFA comes out, completed it, mate. You know, and then you watch things like like reality TV, like Love Island, and people in those shows would say something and you have like a meme of Jay. And even though like something I think that, that was a problem with the film was like, and the TV shows, like how little depth the female characters sort of have and how at times the female characters feel underwritten but it did create a template for female-led sitcoms to go on and thrive. So you've got Derry Girls, Some Girls, Raised by Wolves, and Drifters, which was Jessica Nappett's sitcom with Lydia Rose Bewley and Lauren O'Rourke, who also in the Inbetweeners film. Yeah, Drifters. I, I watched Drifters for the first time relatively recently. I say relatively recently. It's probably about three years ago now, but... Um... Yeah, really, really enjoyed Drifters. Mm. And you mentioned Derry Girls, one of the best sitcoms of the last 10 years, for sure. Yeah, I really liked, I, I, I really liked Drifters. I really liked Derry Girls. I watched Drifters at the time. I think there was, I think it was unfairly compared to the Inbetweeners and to Girls as well in, in America, because mm. obviously Girls came out at a similar time and it was about, that was about four young women, and yeah. that, that was three women, and I think that there was a lot uh, of... Give me, give me Terry Girls or Drifters any day over, over Girls, for I, sure. I like I, I do like Girls, to be fair, but I think comparing them, they're so different. But also, Terry Girls is, is so similar in, in the way it's presented mm. to the in-betweeners. In, with the voiceover and with the, uh, with the music needle drops that are always happening. So I guess the next thing we need to talk about is where do we rank this film in our overall list? This is going to be a hard one, I think, because I think you enjoyed it 
more on the whole than I did. Mm. But I, 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 I would say that I would find it equally enjoyable as a few of the films we've already seen. So, okay, well, are we both in agreement that it's not as it's not as anywhere near as good as Michael Rimmer, right? No, nowhere near. So Michael Rimmer is still at the top. So yeah. now it, it comes down to where it fits among because it's, obviously it's nowhere near as shit as lesbian vampire killers or even Man About the House or Staggered, right? So it's where yeah. it fits uh, against the parole officer, and yeah. Mike Bassett. Yes, which I I, I guess you, I, I'm predicting, Rob. But I think you'd you'd put parole officer above this. Am I right, or am I wrong? Do you know what I I think? Both films had a lot of the same problems, mm. um, the, but actually, I think I think Parole Officer is is a better written. Um, I probably laughed as much in both of them, so that doesn't really help. Uh, obviously, this is in between. This is more of a pure example of what we're trying to achieve. I don't know if if you have any kind of stronger opinions about this, where it should go then I'm I'm happy I'm happy to basically see it either second, third or fourth, basically. Because I, I would have those three mm. kind of the same. I think, yeah, I would agree. I, for me, I would put it as our second. I'd put it just above the parole officer. I think it just it just does it a little bit better for me than the parole officer. I think you're right that it's better written. I think parole officer's got a better vi- villain in Stephen Delane. But I think overall, as a package, I prefer the Inbetweeners. Okay, let's uh, let's stick Inbetweeners in number two position then. Okay, quiz time. So I've written questions for you on Ian Morris, and you have written questions for me on Simon Bird, whose Wikipedia page I read about an hour before <laughs> we <laughs> sat down, and uh, that was a long time ago now. Uh, I'm leading after last episode. I've pulled ahead. This is the biggest lead either of us has ever had mm. to this point i'm 14 12 ahead so let's see if you can claw back some of that deficit so what is the full name of bird's character in the inbetweeners <laughs> oh shit <laughs> <laughs> i thought that was an easy one well yeah no it is an easy one and i've my mind's gone completely blank it's not cooper is it because it's that's uh, that's simon that's simon yeah it's will oh my god I'm just trying to think of Greg Davis saying it. No, go on. Mackenzie. Mackenzie. Fucking hell. <laughs> Ian Morris, along with writing partner Damon Beasley, wrote two episodes of which award-winning HBO comedy series in 2007? Flight of the Concords. Ding, ding, ding. One nil. Bird was the president of which student sketch comedy troupe? Thank you, Guy. Cambridge Footlights. It was. One point to you, sir. Uh, which university did Ian Morris go to? The University of Bristol. Correct. It's 2-1 to you. After two questions each. In 2010, Bird created a panel show for BBC Three, but what was it called? This came up on our Lesbian Vampire Killers episode. I think it's called The King Is Dead. It. Yes, you are correct, sir. Uh, what was the name of Jimmy Carr's 2004 comedy game show for which Ian Morris was one of the supervising producers? Uh, was oh, was it that one, Your Face or Mine? Oh, 
I had a feeling you might say that actually. It wasn't that. It was distraction. Uh Okay, so it's two all after three questions each. Go on, guy. In 2017, Simon Bird starred in which we- in which West End play directed by Simon Callow? Ah, oh, if you'd have asked me who directed it, I'd have got that Simon Callow, but I can't remember the name of the play, and I don't think any amount of deliberation is going to trick me to remember. So go on. The Philanthropist. Uh, uh, Ian Morris directed seven episodes of Murderville, the US version of Murder and Successville, in in which which comedy actor plays Detective Terry Seattle? The American version of the Tom Davis character from the UK version. Will Arnett. It is Will Arnett. Yes. Simon Bird's debut stand-up show was called Debrief, but how was it different to normal stand-up comedy specials? There was no one in the audience. That's correct. In Morris's only UK acting credit was in which BBC 2000s comedy series in which he plays a sports teacher and a Ropra employee. Look around you. Correct. I think all five of my <laughs> if my questions came up in our discussion today. Yeah. Well done, <laughs> That's four three to you, guy, which makes the total seventeen sixteen to me overall. So, and the next episode is what is it, guy? Our next episode is Nuns on the Run. Eric Idle and Robbie Coltrane. Written and directed by Jonathan Lynn, who's the uh, writer of Yes Minister and Yes Prime Minister. So looking forward to that. I'm pretty sure I've seen it, but I can't remember anything about it. I've never seen it, but I remember it was on ITV a lot in the 90s when I was a kid. It was always seemed to be Nuns on the Run, Saturday at 8. One of those. Yes. Uh, Guy, thanks a lot. I'm looking forward to... Uh, tackling nuns on the run with you until next time thank you yeah thanks a lot rob and yeah until the next one i'll see you later thank you for listening to BrickCon goes to the movies with guy walker and rob heath thanks to mark phillips for the podcast artwork you can get in touch with us by emailing brickcongoes at gmail.com or you can find us on instagram and twitter as at brickcongoes and don't forget to check out the BrickCon goes to the movies playlist on spotify and amazon music Please like, subscribe and review so that others can find the podcast. See you next episode.